Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Bible study tonight. Let's commence by opening with prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we can come into Thy holy presence. And we can come with boldness because we come in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We do pray that you all help us as we open up your word, as we consider what you have to say in your word and how it applies to us. We look to thee, O Lord, that we might grow not only in knowledge, but grow in grace. That we would be more like Christ Jesus. So having opened your word of truth tonight, we look to thee, O Lord, to lay your hand of blessing upon this our time together. Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look this evening for a few minutes at the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy. It's a, a book of 34 chapters. If we spend two minutes a chapter and we squeeze one or two of them a little, we'll get done in an hour. But no, we're not going to do that. Well, I'm not planning to at the moment anyway. But uh, I come to this book of Deuteronomy. We'll read the opening verses of chapter 1. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dirazab. There are eleven days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt at Ashtaroth in Edria, On this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horab, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you, and take your journey, and go to the mount of the Amorites, and unto all the places nigh thereunto, and in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and in the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in, and possess the land, which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give unto them and to their seed after them. In the book of Deuteronomy. Who wrote it? Well, that's a controversial statement. I'm sure I heard somebody say Moses. But uh, controversial these days, I'm sad to say. I, I picked up a modern 
Bible at home. And I, I read in it the following statement. Deuteronomy was written after the Israelites had for centuries been resident in the land of promise. Sadly, that is the general view of those who would see themselves as modern Bible scholars. They have a very subjective, human, rationalistic viewpoint on these things. They dismiss the testimony of the book itself. They they dismiss the testimony of the whole of Scripture on the subject. But the book is very clear. And Scripture itself throughout is very clear. Look at the, the first words which we read there. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan. In chapter 31, verse 9, we find that Moses wrote, took time. The last days of his time upon earth, he took time writing. Writing. Writing Deuteronomy. Writing the books of the law. In 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 3 we have King David's charge to Solomon. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Acts chapter 3 verse 22 we are told that Moses truly said unto the fathers. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 verse 19, in quoting Deuteronomy 32 21, says, Moses saith. Now, we don't need to be worried about modern scholarship. Because modern scholarship is founded upon unbelief. They have no time for the God of Scripture. They can use their rationalism to explain away everything in Scripture. They have no time for the God of miracles. They have no time for Christ. His incarnation, resurrection from the dead. And they certainly have no time for God's moral law. The name of the book, Deuteronomy, is from the Greek, from the title given in the Greek translation of what we know of as the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it literally means second law, although it's not strictly accurate because it was it was based on a misunderstanding of a verse in where the king was instructed to write out a copy of the law. It does, however, convey something of what the book is about. It is a book largely of God's law given to ancient Israel. In the Hebrew, the title would simply be The Words, because that's how in Hebrew it begins which is appropriate. It is a book of words, a book of words which was spoken to Israel just before 
they were going to go in and possess the land after 40 years had passed since leaving Egypt. Thirty-eight years had passed since that point-blank refusal to enter the land when the fear of men had stopped the people from obeying the command of God. When the fear of men had proved greater than trusting the promises of the Lord. That faithless generation, all those over 20, except for Caleb and Joshua, died in the wilderness. They did not enter the land, but the new generation now stand ready to go forward and process the land. Deuteronomy is a book of preparation for entering the land. Deuteronomy is a book of guidance and of law for how the nation should live in the land when they have settled conditions. Numbers was a book of wanderings and of organization for people in the wilderness. Leviticus was a book of law for the priests and how they should undertake their work. But Deuteronomy is a book for the whole nation, for the common people, if you like, to regulate daily life as they live in the land of promise. The book was to be read in the presence of the congregation of the people every seven years. Read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. They were to have its teaching brought before them so that it wouldn't pass too far from their memories. But the book was also for the king. When they would demand a king, they would be given a king. The king had a solemn duty. The king was to write out Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write out him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy was to guide the king. He was therefore to be familiar with it through having written out a copy. He was to spend time reading it every day so that he could walk in its light day by day. And as he submitted himself to God's word, to God's law, he would be kept humble. 
that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. How important that is that rulers in a nation recognize that they serve only because they serve in the sight of the God of all glory. And if the kings of Israel had heeded this command and walked in its light, what a difference it would have made for them. The book was for the king. The book, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes, and turn unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live, and go in and out, and possess the land, which the Lord your God, your fathers, giveth you. Ye shall not add on to the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish it, diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. The people were to listen to what God had said. The people were not to add anything to it, or take anything from it. There was a complete sufficiency in God's revelation to the people. That's a general principle that applies to us with Scripture. God's Word. That which has been breathed out of God is sufficient for us. It is able to make us wise unto salvation. It is able to thoroughly furnish the man of God unto all good works. We are to give heed to it. Not add to it, but take from it. Moses. In this book, we can look at it and we can see different people take different approaches, but we can certainly see three major sections to the book. There's review of how they got where they are in the opening chapters. He talks about the rebellion and the failure to enter the land. He talks about their lack of faith. But God was faithful and there were many victories. We saw, well, we noticed them briefly at the end of the book of Numbers. Moses goes through a list of victories on the other side of Jordan before crossing over. God was faithful. God showed how victory was eminently possible for those who would go forward in faith. But the problem was always, always with the nation, with the people, with the individuals that made it up. Chapter 1, verse 32. It sums up all the problems they ever had. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God. And that's why they had failed so often. Hebrews 4 verse 2 The word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. 
How could a people who had failed so miserably, a people who had lacked experience in battle and so forth, how could they win a victory? Well, they were given a word of assurance. Chapter 2, verse 25. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are on the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. They didn't actually have to do anything major to win a victory. We can look forward a bit. Think of Jericho. Think of how the walls were brought down. But before that, hear the report of Rahab. What did Rahab testify? She testified that they had heard. How terrifying. How terrifying they were. They were all in fear. You can read about that in Joshua 2 verse 9. Later, Gideon had a similar experience when most of his soldiers were sent home. And they didn't win the victory with swords. They won that victory with torches and jars. And that small number terrified a mighty army and they all fled. The Lord is able to work out his purpose in spite of our weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness is the lesson which we need to learn. We're not to be reliant upon our natural abilities, our human wisdom, our clever strategies. We are to be trusted in the Lord. It is by His Spirit that the victory is won. This section ends up in chapter 4 with Moses pleading with them to keep their souls diligently. Chapter 4 verse 9 lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. He reminded them of their redemption out of Egypt. Pleaded with them to take heed to themselves, lest ye forget, verse 23, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. The God of glory had made a covenant with them. The point of which is, the God of glory keeps his word. He is well able to accomplish his purpose. But we are so apt to fall into temptation. You see that as chapter 4 moves on. He warns them of falling into temptation, verse 25, of being scattered, verse 27. But then he speaks in verse 29 of repentance and faith that should be followed by blessing. Chapter 4, verse 31, what do we read? For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forget thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swore unto them. The Lord, the God of all glory, is faithful to his own word, to his own promise, to his own covenant. He does accomplish his purpose.
the major part of the book <clears throat> deals with law. There's a lot said between chapters 5 and chapter 26. Many, many words, many, many laws. It begins with what is basically a restatement of the Ten Commandments. And then they are applied to the circumstances of daily living. In chapter 6, we find one of the most well-known verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and at the third verse. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. I mean chapter 4, of course, but that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That verse is very well known to observant Jewish people. A great declaration of monotheism. We have to ask the question, why? Why was Israel unique? Why did God pick out this people? Give them a land. Give them his word. Give them his promises. And his warnings. Chapter 7 verse 6. Thou art unholy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for ye were the fewest of all but because the Lord because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. It was his sovereign, gracious choice whereby they were made to be a unique people. The laws in Deuteronomy, as I say, rather apply the moral laws. The moral law abides. It is for all people. But the laws set out in Deuteronomy, which expound and apply that moral law, were given to the nation for their life in the land. They were uniquely to be God's instrument of justice on the people of the land. Upon whom, chapter 7 verse 2, they were, they were to utterly destroy, they were to show no mercy. Why? Because they were God's instrument of judgment. The fullness of the evil of the inhabitants of the land was complete. Which the Lord had told Abraham would take many years, Genesis 15 verse 16. We can see the sins of the people, the land listed. Leviticus 18, 6 to 23. The nation there was warned not to defile ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which are cast out before you and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. The land itself vomiteth out her in 
inhabitants. Looking very briefly at some of the laws, we can think of how in the Ten Commandments we have the the law which says we're not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. So in chapter 13 you can read about the false prophet. The one who claims to speak in the name of God but who isn't. It's a solemn warning. And note there that at times the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The standard was to be the commandments. The revelation which God had given, verse 4. We can think about the command to honour your father and your mother. To have respect for, for lawful authority. And so it is that we can read about chapter 16. Judges and officers. Chapter 17, the respect to be had for, for judgments made. And even the king had regulations, as we read before. The command not to kill relates to having respect for life, because we are made in the image of God. So in chapter 19, we find laws about cities of refuge. Chapter 20, laws about warfare. Chapter 21, how unsolved killings were to be atoned for. These laws were given to national Israel. Now a confession of faith explains very helpfully, chapter 19, paragraph 4, to them also he gave sundry judicial laws which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of moral use. These laws are all helpful in understanding the principles and how they can be applied. The general equity They are not given to our nation, nor have they been given to the church. Our nation is not the theocratic kingdom of ancient Israel. The final part of Deuteronomy deals with Moses's Parting, guidance, preparation for the people as he prepares not to enter the land of Canaan but as he prepares to go up into the mount to view the land and then to die. Moses was very accepting of the judgment which God had placed upon him. Remember how he had been told to call upon the rock that it would give forth water. And this time, when he'd been told to speak, he smote the rock in disobedience. He did it, of course, because he was angry with the people for the lack of faith. 
But because of his disobedience, he didn't enter the land. But Moses was active up until the last day of his life on earth. He was active as a servant of the Lord. He didn't have a time of quiet retirement. He was greatly blessed in his strength. And he served faithfully. And we find these final days, in these last few chapters there in Deuteronomy. Chapter 27, he tells them that memorial stones are to be erected once they enter the land. And he speaks to them, exhorting them to obey the voice of the Lord thy God and to do his commandments. And he goes through blessings and cursings. We are reminded again that the transgression of God's law brings God's righteous curse. Chapter 29, they are reminded that their occupation of the land was dependent on their faithfulness. If they disobeyed, they would be judged. Moses warns there about apostasy. He tells them that exile will happen. But then goes on to say in chapter 30 that restoration is possible by repentance and faith. In chapter 32 we have Moses' song which is quite a song dealing with the past, the present and the future as Moses looked upon it. It's a song which exalts the Lord. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish... I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Here's the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. He exalts God. Majestic, powerful, holy. But then he goes through the unfaithfulness of mankind. The rebellion. It's quite a song as I say. The people were taught this song. was to be a testimony to them. The song of Moses and of the Lamb is sung in Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. We can also think of Moses' song in Exodus chapter 15 after they left Egypt. I'm not sure how popular Moses' song would be with people these days. It certainly reminds us of the sinfulness of the heart and warns of our faithlessness. In chapter 33, we have Moses' final blessing on the people. Where once more he speaks of the 
uniqueness of God. Verse 26, There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Verse 29, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Moses was very conscious that true salvation, meaningful salvation, is that which is of the Lord. Moses died. Chapter 34. 120 years old. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Moses is rather unique because you read there that after he died at verse 5 the Lord buried him, verse 6 in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor but no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. Deuteronomy. It's a big book. There's lots in it. It deals with people whose forefathers had failed to enter the land. It deals with people who would go forward and enter the land. But who later, as foretold, would be sent into exile because of their unbelief, because of their rebellion, because of their apostasy. Deuteronomy is in the path that leads from the promise given in the garden, Genesis 3.15, the promise given to Abraham, the promise given to King David, the promise of one who would come and save his people from their sins. Ancient Israel failed because of their unbelief. Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. As we read in Romans chapter 9 verse 31. Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Attempts to keep the law all failed. But Moses promised a prophet, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, a prophet like unto Moses. 
One whom he said ye will listen to. This prophet is greater than Moses. Hebrews 3 verse 5, Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. That baby born in Bethlehem was born as the fulfillment of ancient Israel. He, as we saw last week, is the son who was called out of Egypt. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son, Matthew 2.15 which related to Hosea 11 verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Christ is the eternal son. He succeeded where ancient Israel failed. He was victorious in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4. Where he used the words of Deuteronomy to totally defeat the accuser of the brethren. He, Hebrews 4 verse 15, Jesus the Son of God, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And as Hebrews 8 verse 6 tells us, Now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. He is the one who gives complete rest because he fulfilled the law. Matthew 5.17 Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill the law in all its parts. And all those prophecies they pointed forward. They led directly to Christ. Who not only kept that law in its detail and in its spirit, but he was actually the fulfillment of what it was pointing for. It all leads to Christ. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 21-23. Ancient Israel came under God's curse because of their disobedience, came under God's curse because of their rebellion. But Christ has bore the curse for us that we can be clothed in His righteousness. In Romans 8, we are told that in Christ we have no condemnation. Verse 3 there. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God is righteous in his judgment. And God is merciful, making atonement unto his people. Which we can read about in Deuteronomy 32:43. Christ has borne that curse. He's borne that outpoured wrath. 
to save his people from their sins. He has a better covenant. Hear the words of Ezekiel 26 verse 22. I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. They suffered because of their failures. But Ezekiel 26 goes on to promise, to promise what? To promise a new heart. A work of the Holy Spirit. New life. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. If we try to please God just by keeping the law, we will fail. But if we look to Christ, we will see the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Dear friends, Christ's covenant, His new covenant, is far better. He gives complete rest. Christ is the victory. Amen. Let's just have a word of prayer. Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your word of truth. Pray that You will bless what we have thought about. Pray that You'll take away anything that was dross or chaff. But bless the good seed of the word to our hearts. Christ Jesus' name. Amen.